speakers always know who it is that I'm listening to. So um, here's a little bit about me. I have a picture here. See if this works. Just turn it on. There we go. Um, I was born in the Philippines and um, in a small barrio on the main island of Luzon, northern Luzon, where I grew up playing in the rice fields and riding the caribous and traveling in tricycles and jeepneys. Uh, where most homes were made out of straws. You see those pictures there. Those pictures were actually taken from a trip when I went back home. And that house made of straw is actually um, a, a home of one of my relatives. And so it was uh, obviously a very different community than what we're used to here. It was a community in which most people uh, knew everyone in the village. So much so that when people find out where I'm from in the Philippines, they will sometimes ask me, oh, do you know this family or do you know so-and-so? Like as if I would know them, right? But uh, usually I never do because I came to the States when I was uh, five years old, uh, not knowing any English. So I knew two words, yes and no. Those were the two English words that I knew when I first came. I was only five. And so as you can imagine, it was quite a culture shock. Uh, for me coming to the States for many different reasons, more than just not knowing the language, right? So um, I settled in the, the South Bay, my mom and I and my dad. Uh, when I was in elementary school, a neighbor invited me to church. And from there, I attended a Christian school through being sponsored by one of the uh, ministry leaders at that church. And it was in, in junior high, actually, which some of you I know are in junior high, that I made the personal decision to follow Christ. Um, and then, lo and behold, I met my husband in ninth grade. I did not know he was going to be my husband at the time, obviously, uh, but that years later, uh, I, we were one day married. And so from there, from high school, I went on to attend a Christian college in Florida um, and came back to the Bay Area with my husband to plant a church here in Newark, actually, just a few blocks from here, right off of Russian Boulevard. I don't know if any of you knew what a Russian school was, but... After 12 years at that church, um, the, the school that we were meeting at sold the property to uh, home development. And so they dozed down the building. And if you go on a Russian Boulevard or Russian Drive, you'll see a new housing development. And that is where our church was at. And so that was in 2015. And so through God's providence and guidance, um, and through much prayer and discussions, we merged with a sister church in Fremont. Grace Church, where my husband is now the lead pastor, that's the church that Dorcas was mentioning right next to American High School. And so um, fast forward, during the pandemic in 2020, I had uh, the really wonderful privilege and experience to be able to serve as the director of City Service Compassion Network uh, for over two and a half years, and until I recently stepped down from there, uh, not knowing that I think the, my first official day at Compassion Network, one week later, the pandemic was um, officially announced. And so I was able to uh, serve in that way during the pandemic um, until I stepped down just recently, a few months ago, uh, from that role to work full time at Grace Church, where I work as the, uh, as I serve as the director of operations there. So um, here's a picture of my family. Love hanging out with those three, uh, whether we are doing ministry stuff, we got to go to a missions trip this past summer in Mexico and build a house, um, or if we're just hanging out, getting boba, watching games, 
Um, I think the 49ers game is on today. I don't know if any of you guys are 49ers fans. Is anyone a 49ers fan here? Okay, wow. I was going to say, you guys are really faithful if you're a 49ers fan because they're playing in like 30 minutes. We have lots of 49ers fans um, at my church. But, uh, yeah, so just love hanging out with them. Um, my husband is the one taking the selfie. Obviously, it's obvious who he is. Josh, and uh, we have two children, no longer children. Uh, Ethan, who is a junior in high school, and Alana, who is a freshman in college. So that's a little bit about me and uh, my story. Um, I would have to say that having the experience of being born in the Philippines and growing up in the Bay Area, obviously two different worlds, right? Um, And then being involved in ministries like the church and CityServe and Compassion Network, have really given me um, a broader perspective on uh, culture, on community, and on the topic this morning of being a neighbor. So let's go ahead and jump right into our passage of scripture, which is found, if I can do this, being a neighbor. Passage of scripture is found um, in Luke 10, 25 to 37. And uh, this is a very familiar passage that many of us know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so let's go ahead and read Um, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, I'm going to have... There you go. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, so we see that Jesus didn't give a straight answer. He instead replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. I'm just going to go ahead and read it, even if they'll they'll catch up. There you go. Um, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance... A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Okay, so one of my favorite things to do when I read scripture 
is to just observe the story and just like let it sink in. Allow myself to ask, the, ask questions and to ponder the scriptures. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. And we're just going to talk about just some of the observations. But before I do that, let me go ahead and um, go through a summary of what's going on in the story. Okay, so here's a religious expert who is asking Jesus a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And instead of giving a direct answer, Jesus actually turns it around and asks him a question, basically saying, well, you're the expert. What does the law say? Right? Because he's a religious expert. And of course, this religious expert knows exactly what the answer is. And he actually quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19. And he quotes the verses that command the command to love God and to love others. And then Jesus responds with, okay, then do that. But the religious expert we see isn't satisfied with that. It's not like he just said, oh, okay, well, that's what the scriptures say. Let me go ahead and just live out scripture, right? Instead, it says, the passage says he wanted to justify his actions. Now, I don't know what actions he was trying to justify. I wasn't there. Maybe it was the fact that he was asking a question that he already knew the answer to, right? Um, some would say, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Now, some would say that he was strategically trying to determine who he's required to love, okay? Um, but we don't know. You know, I would say give the guy the benefit of the doubt and, and just assume that he sincerely wanted to know the scope of loving our, our neighbors. And regardless, Jesus doesn't answer with a clear-cut definition, but instead tells this story. So I just want to pause there. Um, at this point, I can honestly relate with the story. Um, have you ever, I, I know I have, I have asked a question already knowing the answer. Has anyone ever done that? I'm sure, I was going to say, we have students here. I'm sure you guys have done that to your teacher. Like, what do you want me to do? What's the homework where you know exactly where to find it, right? Um, or oftentimes, I want to define things in clear-cut terms, and so I can check the boxes. So it's like I'll ask the question, what exactly does it mean to love God? Give me a list, right, so I could check off the boxes. Or what exactly does it mean to love my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Can you narrow that down a bit, God, just so I can check off those boxes? Okay, so that's me. Maybe none of you can relate. I think I had one hand up. But back to the story. Jesus tells the story of a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And commentaries say that the distance is about 17 miles and it runs through this rocky uh, desert country, providing a conducive place for robbers to take advantage of defenseless travelers. And so he's traveling and he gets robbed and he gets beat up. And it says he gets left half dead. So obviously this man needs help, right? He's half dead on the side of the road. And then we see that a priest or let's say a religious leader sees it and passes by on the other side. And then a Levite or a temple assistant, so in our day we would say, you know, a temple assistant, let's just say um, a church staff member, okay, or a ministry leader, someone who's involved in church. He comes and he was curious enough to go over there and look, look at the man, but then he does the same thing as the priest and he crosses the road and passes by. And then it says a despised Samaritan comes by and he responds in a completely different way. 
So there's kind of the summary. I think it's important to give some background to this story um, about Jews and Samaritans. So the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Uh, the Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, and they, they actually practiced open hostility to one another. And instead of giving a whole history lesson, I'm just, I actually pulled from some commentaries, and I'm just going to read that to you just to, to give us an idea of the context of what's happening here. Imagine the hatred between Serbs and Muslims in modern Bosnia, the enmity between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, or the feuding between street gangs in Los Angeles or New York. And you have some idea of the feeling and its causes between the Jews and the Samaritans in the time of Jesus. Both politics and religion were involved. So there was a deep hatred between the Jews and Samaritans. The Jews saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, while the Samaritans were a mixed race produced when the Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with other people after Israel's exile. By the first century, and most likely long before, both Jewish and Samaritan priests, so they had their own priests, taught their people that it was sinful, that it was actually sinful to have contact with the other. So the Jews were to avoid the, the impure lands of the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were not to even speak to the Jews. Okay, so that kind of gives you some context for the story. The fact that there was such dislike and uh, hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans is what gives um, the use of the Samaritan such force. The Samaritan is the one who is able to rise above the bigotry of the day and the prejudices and of centuries and show mercy and compassion for the injured Jew after the Jew's own countrymen passed him by. Okay, so we see that this despised Samaritan who rises above the status quo actually was the one who showed compassion on this Jewish man a man that he's not even supposed to talk to. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He puts him on his own donkey. He cares for him. He stays overnight in the inn, and he uses his own money to hire help, and then he promises to come back and pay for the difference of the cost in his care. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big deal. It says, um, just to give some context, the two silver coins is equivalent to two days' wages. So, for those of you who work, calculate how much you make in a day, times two, okay? And that's what this, this Samaritan man gave. He just gave that up for a stranger. Um, and it says that that would keep, in that day, would keep a man up to two months in an inn. Okay, so I think right there is enough to chew and mull over. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He asks the question, which of these three was a neighbor? Which of these three was a neighbor? And I got to thinking about this, and I love Jesus' rhetorical question. Okay. I think it's a rhetorical question. That's just my own observation. Because a rhetorical question is a question that you ask that doesn't need an answer. Because it's so obvious. right? Jesus just told this story. And it's so obvious that the, the religious expert cannot say anything other than the Samaritan. I mean, it would have been foolish for him to say, oh, the priest was the neighbor or the Levite was the neighbor, right? That would have been so silly because it's so obviously not, right? But notice there was such dislike between the Jews and the Samaritan that he couldn't even say the name Samaritan. 
Instead, he responds with, well, the one who showed him mercy. Okay, that's like Jesus saying, okay, so which one was a neighbor? And that's like him responding with, oh, well, the guy who helped him out. The guy who helped him out. He couldn't even say the Samaritan because he's a Jew, right? So he's basically minimizing the fact that the Samaritan was the one who helped out this Jewish man. And then Jesus responds with, yes, now go and do the same. Okay, so there's obviously a lot that we can take from the story here. Um, one, the person least likely to help was a Samaritan, and yet it is the Samaritan who becomes the hero of this story. Have you ever watched a movie where you're, you're like so surprised that that is the person who becomes the hero of the story? Okay, that's what's happening here. This was a strong correction to the accepted norm. The norm was the fact that the Jews and the Samaritans did not interact. And so here's this religious expert. He knows the law, the command to love God and his neighbor. But what they had done was they had redefined the law with boundaries and limitations of their own. And Jesus wanted to remove those boundaries. And it was like he was poking holes at how they were defining fulfilling this great commandment. Okay. So we could have, I feel like we could have discussion after discussion of the insights and lessons that we can take from this one parable after just sitting with the story and asking questions and wondering and making observations. But since that's not really the setting of Sunday morning church, um, I think we'll save that for another time. But here's, here's what I want to focus on this morning is this. Jesus told the story. Jesus told the story not to answer the man's question, but to show the man that he was asking the wrong question. Jesus told the story to show the man that he was asking the wrong question. Notice he didn't answer the question, who is our neighbor, right? Um, but instead, he turns the question around and asks, which of these three was a neighbor? And so he's actually pointing out that it's not about who our neighbor is, but it's more about us being the neighbor. He never said, okay, which of these is, who's our neighbor? He didn't say the Samaritan or the Jew. He turns it around, tells this whole story. And then he says, which of these three was a neighbor, right? So it's a lot more about not who our neighbor is, but more about us being a neighbor. So instead of maybe asking who is our neighbor, instead of trying to define or instead of trying to justify or escape or even limit our responsibility of who to love, maybe a better question is, am I being a neighbor? Am I being a neighbor? Am I the one who shows mercy? Am I the one who is going to rise above the prejudices, the judgment, the stereotypes, the preconceived ideas that I have and have compassion? Would I be the person who takes the time to help someone else out? Or would I have been the religious leader? Or would I have been the ministry leader? Or would I have been the really involved um, like ministry leader or youth person in my church who, who saw it and then ignored it and then actually distanced myself and I think so often in our community, um, that's exactly what we do, right? We don't, we don't want to see those who are hurting or 
or are in need, or we pretend not to see, we actually distance ourselves because we would, we would rather stay ignorant or, or comfortable than be challenged um, because we're afraid we're going to be compelled to actually do something about it. And so often we're content to stay in our cliques, in our circles, in our friend groups, or even in our church communities, because it's very comfortable. We, we want to fit in. We don't want to be inconvenienced. It's like we walk around life with blinders. And so um, lest you think this is a guilt trip, it, it's not meant to be a guilt trip. Um, I think if we were completely honest, we would all at some point have found ourselves relating to that priest and to that Levite. Um, just this past week, as I was preparing for this, I, I was so convicted because I had the opportunity. Um, and then I was preparing for this, and I thought, oh, man, I, I did exactly what that priest and Levite did. I ignored it. Um, and so this isn't meant to be a guilt trip. I'm here you know, confessing, I guess, um, that the same thing happened to me this past week. Um, but just because maybe we don't succeed at it all the time or we're not great at it doesn't mean that the commandment changes. The commandment is still there to command, uh, the command to love our neighbor. So I would say that's how do I best fulfill this command to love my neighbor? So in this passage, we see that being a neighbor is defined as the one who shows mercy. But before I can show mercy, I must first notice. Before I can show mercy, I must first notice. So I would add another question to the first one that I, I asked. Not just am I being a neighbor, but how is my neighbor? Am I being a neighbor and how is my neighbor? How is my neighbor? Do I even know? Do you even know? You know, in order to answer this question, I think we, we must first notice people in need. Um, most of our neighbors are not beat up on the side of the road, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have people in our lives who, don't, who, who, who need help or who are hurting, who need our compassion. Each of the men in the story could have been the one who showed mercy, but only one of them stopped to help. And so I think we need to shift our perspective. Um, it's very easy in our community, um, especially here in the Bay Area, to just go to work, go to school, do our thing, do the things that we have on our calendars, um, to come home, to drive into our garage, to drive into our carports, whichever one you have, um, and never notice how people are doing around us. Um, it's like we're consumed with our own lives and our own activities. You know, we may not live in a community where we all know our neighbors, like the one that I was born in, but we do have a community. Each of us has a community. We are around people every day. And I think it's so easy to avoid people who don't look like us, you know, who um, maybe who don't do things the same way, who have a different culture, who are maybe in a different socioeconomic um, group or category, or maybe a different academic um, status. But if we consider ourselves Christ followers, if we consider ourselves Christians, then we have the responsibility to love our neighbor. The command 
is very clear. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't fulfill that command if we don't first notice. If we can't answer the question, how is my neighbor? And so just a side note, that neighbor doesn't, that word neighbor doesn't necessarily mean your next door neighbor, although it, it could, you know, if you interact with them, right? Um, but it just simply means those who are in proximity to us. Those who are in proximity to us. Those who are around us. Those whom we interact with every day. So we don't need to waste time asking the question, who is my neighbor? We just need to look around us. So I would say our neighbors, um, the people you live with are your neighbors. Your family, maybe extended family, our classmates are our neighbors. And not just our friends, all our classmates. Um, our coworkers, our colleagues. So instead of focusing on who is our neighbor, I think it's important for us to focus on noticing how are my, my neighbors? Who can I show compassion to? So I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap this up with a practical application. How do we live this out? You know, we have two questions. Am I being a neighbor and how is my neighbor? But how do we live this out? How do we go about noticing and answering these questions? What would it look like for me in this community, in my context as a student, as a young adult, maybe as um, someone who has a family with kids, or, or I don't think we have any grandparents here, but what would it look like for me in my community, in my context, to be a neighbor? So going back to the story of the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, here's what we notice about the, the Good Samaritan, is number one, he took the time. He took the time. He was willing to take a detour in his day. Obviously, he was going somewhere. He was on the road somewhere, right? and he delayed his plans. He took the time to even um, show compassion by bandaging his wounds. It's not like he just called someone and said, oh, hey, take care of this person, right? He actually took the time to bandage his wounds and he, he made space. So I would say to us, to live this out, we have to take the time. We, it, it takes time for us to be a neighbor. Um, it takes time for us to notice. And I know living in the Bay Area, that's one of those things that's, um, that's priceless, right? Because we're all very busy, but we have to leave margin in our schedules. If we're always rushing about, not only do we not notice because we're rushing about, but if and when we do notice, we don't have the time and space to help out. Let me ask this question. If God wanted you to make a difference in someone's life, would you have the time? Would you have the time to even notice or do something about it? If God wanted you to make the difference in someone's life. Well, guess what? I think he wants us to make a difference in people's lives. That's what this great command is, is all about. So I don't know what this looks like for you. I know that we're all in very different seasons. All of us are busy, right? We have things to do. Um, we have things to accomplish. Um, I don't think anyone here is not busy. Is anyone here, would anyone say, I'm just bored out of my mind. I have nothing to do. Okay, 
was going to say, if you raise your hand, I'm going to make sure Pastor Jeremy like, gets in contact with you because I'm sure he'll have plenty of things to do, right? So we're all busy, um, and we're all in very different seasons. So this may look different for, for each of us. And maybe for you, it's as simple as just deciding and setting aside time every month to intentionally get to know a neighbor, whoever that is for you. Again, it doesn't mean your next door neighbor. Just intentionally setting aside time every month to get to know someone within your proximity, who you're already around. Or maybe it's incorporating it in something that you're already doing. So one of the things that I, I did um, when my kids were in elementary school, um, since I couldn't be involved in ministry as much as I wanted to, I, I worked, and then uh, we were planting the church, and then I had little kids. Um, I decided I would intentionally block out about 30 minutes or so to stay after school to just have conversation with, with other moms or other people and just see who God brings in my path, right? Or I tried my best to just set aside time to be involved as much as I could going to field trips. And it was actually through some of those interactions over the years that I have been able to invite so many people to church I'm just having conversation. In fact, one of our youth leaders who now serves in our youth ministry uh, to my teenage son, I mean, my son goes over to his house um, and watches you know, the games, like the 49ers game. They started coming to church years ago through our connection with them from elementary school. And so um, it's not like you have to go out there and, and uh, you know, put together a program. It's just in your everyday. And so you never know how God is going to use those everyday conversations. So maybe it's just something as simple as incorporating it into whatever your schedule is. Um, you know, going to school, going to sports practice, going to music practice, or work. Or maybe your first step is just to take time to pray and to ask God to give you opportunities to be a neighbor. I find that when we start praying in this way, God has a way of answering those prayers. God has a way of giving us those opportunities or showing us that the opportunities are all already there. We just didn't see it. So the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan took the time. And so I would encourage you to take the time. And then number two, he, he took the risk. He took the risk to help with no expectation in return. As far as we know, he didn't know who this Jewish man was. He didn't know if he was going to be repaid. He didn't like strike a deal or make an arrangement to make sure, right? He just decided to help. He simply had mercy and compassion. And in the same way, what would it look like for you, for us, individually or as a church family, to take the risk and have compassion? Maybe it's just initiating a meaningful conversation with a classmate or a colleague. And a meaningful conversation could sometimes just be say, hey, how are you really doing? Instead of talking about the weather or the 49ers. <laughs> um, or maybe it's taking the risk to share your faith. Because sometimes those, taking the risk to initiate a meaningful conversation leads to, to being able to share our faith or inviting someone to church. Or maybe it's taking the risk to share God's love through meeting a need in the community with no agenda. Just because just doing good and seeing what God does with that. Or maybe it's praying for God to bring someone with whom you can invest in relationally. 
So I started this morning with uh, just sharing a little bit about me, but I, I wanted to circle back around and just give you a glimpse of the people in my life who did exactly these two things, who took the time and who took the risk. So as I look back on my journey of traveling from the Philippines, being born there, and then traveling here, and then becoming a Christian um, here in the States, I can point to specific people who took the time and who took the risk to invest in me. There was my next door neighbor who invited me to church and actually had a, an elementary kid at the time. And so I, I would say the next door neighbor, the family and the kids. So no matter what season of life you're in, right, you, can, you can be used of God and you can fulfill this command. And then there was the ministry. Oh, and so from there, I started riding the bus to Sunday school at the time. And then from there, um, I already mentioned this earlier, but the ministry leader who sponsored me to attend a Christian school. So my family didn't go to church. And so this, it was through this connection of going to the Christian school that I really got involved in the youth group. Um, and then from there, once I started going to the Christian school, there was this one specific couple who took me under their wing and basically adopted me, not officially, but just adopted me um, as their own. They would invite me over to, for meals. They would, even something as simple as they would save me a seat every Sunday at church so I didn't have to sit by myself as, um, as a, a high schooler without a family that I would come with. They would drive me to youth activities or just the countless hours of spending time just doing everyday stuff like serving or volunteering. I remember one time I wanted to go to youth camp and um, she said, okay, well, here's a way for you to earn money to go to youth camp. And now looking back, and it was like cleaning her house every Saturday or something, but she would clean with me. And now looking back, I see that I don't, I mean, she could have just given me the money. I think it was a way to spend time with me. And then there were the numerous Christian school teachers, my youth leader, and my friends' families who just invited me into their lives as I became friends with their kids. And I would say without these people and without their time, I would not be where I am today. Um, I would never have imagined that that little kid who was born in the Philippines, playing in those rice fields that you saw, that was, that was actually a picture of um, the rice fields that our, our family owns, um, riding the caribous, again, an actual picture, would one day be here in the States um, with my own family, in ministry, with my family and my church family, and really just having the wonderful privilege of being able to serve God in so many ways, um, even being able to share a little bit of my testimony with you today, or being able to have that, that, as Dorcas said, I, I got to serve with Compassion Network and got to work with all these churches um, who made a difference in their community. And these people had a huge part in where I am today. And if you were to talk with them, they would probably say, oh, yeah, no, that was nothing. That was just a normal thing to do. That was just me just being kind or fulfilling the great command to just take the time, right? It wasn't like they had this main agenda for me, right? Um, all because they took the time and they took the risk to invest in me. They saw a young girl who needed compassion, who needed mercy, who needed love, and who needed Christ. 
So before I close, I wanted to revisit the verses we, re we read earlier as a congregation in Mark 12, 28 to 31. It says, the scribe is asking, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered with, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then in some versions it says, in other, it continues with this, the second is equally important. The second is equally important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I think so often in our churches, um, we're very familiar with that first part. We know what it looks like for us to love God, right? We don't need to ask the question. Um, and hopefully we practice those disciplines, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of reading scripture, of meditating, of worship, coming together like we're doing this morning, um, or studying. We know what the right answers are. We're very, very good at that. But I think we forget that second part which is equally as important. Part of loving God is to love others. It's equally as important as loving God. And I would say that loving, I think I have it here, loving others is one of the most tangible ways that we can love God. Loving others is one of the most tangible ways that we can love God. Loving others should be an outflow of our relationship with God. And so we work on loving God, and we practice those disciplines. And I promise you, when we love God in that way, this will be much more natural. We'll, we'll want to be, we, we won't want to walk around with blinders. We'll be compelled to look for opportunities, to take the time to slow down, so in closing, to fulfill the command of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we have to be able to answer the questions, am I being a neighbor? Not who is your neighbor. We have that covered. We know the answer to that one. Okay, But am I being a neighbor? Just like Jesus said, which of these three was a neighbor? Are there people who would say, so-and-so showed me compassion. Would they say that about you? Are you being a neighbor? And then two, how is my neighbor? Do I know? Have I taken the time to notice? Am I willing to take the risk to help? So this morning, um, I challenge all of us, including myself, to take the time to pray, to notice, to show compassion, to fill in the blank, you know, to ask God to Ask him, how do I fill in this blank? How do I do this? How do I take the time? And then two, to take the risk. Take the risk to obey and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in whatever that looks like for you to love. To love with no expectation in return. Just like this Good Samaritan did. He loved with no expectation in return. He got past the preconceived notion. He even got past what was accepted in that day of, oh, this is a Samaritan, I'm not supposed to talk with him, not interact with him. You know, get past all the, the, the stereotypes that we have, even here in the Bay Area. I know that was in Jesus' day, but we have them here in the Bay Area. We have stereotypes here. You know, to think, okay, how do I, 
get, get past that and just fulfill this command. And so this morning, let's, I, I just want to, I want us to spend some time just thinking about this. And I don't know what you normally do. I know Matt's going to come and play a response song. Um, and I just, instead of singing with him, so Matt, I don't know, if we were supposed to sing with you, you're on your own. <laughs> but instead of singing with him, um, I invite you to just sit in your seat and have that conversation with God. You know, ask God, God, what would it look like for me to fulfill this command of loving my neighbor as myself? Because that is equally as important as the first command to love God. So Matt, if you would come and um, lead us and then afterwards close us in prayer.
subject matter. Um, so, yeah. And so Ashley is still going to invite her back up here to share about Compassion Network. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, Pastor Jeremy asked me to share a little bit about City Surf's Compassion Network. So I wanted to highlight just a few things, um, what Compassion Network is about, how Home of Christ 6 um, has been involved, and how Compassion Network can actually play a part in helping us um, show mercy and compassion in our community. So <clears throat> here, <clears throat> let me go ahead and just give you a little bit of background of what City Serve is. So CityServe is this network of Christian churches in the Tri-Cities that partner together to represent Christ in the community. So about 30 or so years ago, these churches started gathering together. The churches and the pastors um, started getting together for relationship and prayer and support. And out of that, these churches created um, Compassion Network, which is um, meant to be an outreach to connect the congregations like Hop 6 with the needs of the community. And this graphic here on the next slide illustrates what Compassion Network is designed to do. So Compassion Network uh, serves as a front door to the community. We have an office at the Family uh, Resource Center just across from City Hall in Fremont. And there we serve with 20 other government agencies and nonprofits. And Compassion Network was actually designed to be a sort of a, a hub for so social service needs in Southern Alameda County. And so people who wouldn't normally come to a city served church like Hawk 6 um, will come to Compassion Network. And so again, our role is to be that front door so that hopefully as we work with them, we can connect them with one of our churches um, who help meet some of their needs. <clears throat> Sorry, I feel like I'm losing my voice. <coughs> Excuse me. Our primary purpose um, is to connect and equip volunteers to meet needs in a relational manner. So we do this in three ways. Number one, uh, by connecting with individuals through the, uh, the Compassion Network office. Um, and that's a picture of our actual office, which was renovated during the pandemic. It was a blessing uh, because we got a chance to do that. And there, as you see, we get a chance to sit with the clients we get to know them, we get to hear their stories, and we find out what's going on. And if you ever wanna visit, um, you are welcome to visit. You can go online and see what the office hours are if you wanna talk to our office manager and find out what, um, what needs there are. Um, and then, so we sit there and we hear their stories and we're trying to make it more relational. And then number two, we partner with congregations through our liaisons uh, to meet those needs in a relational manner. And so when we meet needs, we don't want volunteers to just donate something, but instead we want, we want, those, we want volunteers to use those opportunities to help make a connection. And so we want volunteers to take the time to get to know the people that they're serving, to build relationship with them. And sometimes the, they the simple interactions turn into conversations and even just if it's as simple as dropping off a donation and then just asking if you could pray for them. And then you never know how those interactions will lead to more interactions. And so we partner with congregations like Hawk 6 through the liaison to help meet needs in a relational manner. And then number three, we do this by, 
second, strategically resourcing congregations for community outreach. So for example, Dorcas already mentioned this, Hawk Six was involved in Joyful Bounty. I believe that's a picture from one of your, uh, the Joyful Bounties um, here, um, where, you, where you were able to bless families in need with a bag of groceries and hopefully have spiritual conversations. And so I would sum it up this way. Compassion Network doesn't meet needs. Compassion Network doesn't meet needs. Instead, our churches and our volunteers are actually the ones who meet needs. And that means you, that means me, that means all of us individually um, or as a church family. And so at a very foundational level, Compassion Network exists to serve as an outreach and extension of the ministry of our city served churches, which includes the ministry of Home of Christ Six. So we want to connect you, your church, with families and individuals in the community and give you opportunities to live out that showing compassion and showing mercy to others who are in need. And sometimes um, we resource individuals who want to make a difference in the lives of the community. And so I'm going to go through three examples of how we resource individuals. Uh, these are three volunteer-led ministries that we've been able to help resource. Um, Boost, which is uh, an after-school homework help program. Basically, it's a tutoring program. We don't call it tutoring because all you do is help them with the homework that they bring. And um, this is coordinated by one of our local uh, school teachers, and it's hosted by a city-served church. And um, this is actually a great opportunity for our high school students. It's not limited to high school students, but it's a great opportunity for our high school students to be involved. Um, plus, you get volunteer community hours if you need that for school. Um, but basically, we have right now, we have 30 students, first through fifth grade, who bring their homework on Tuesdays for an hour, and they just need someone to sit with them and help them with whatever homework they bring, whether it's quizzing them on their, um, their spelling words or helping them with their fractions or whatever it is that they bring. Um, we have 30 students, and, but we only have seven homework helpers. So again, that's a great opportunity. Um, and that was uh, started by one of our volunteers who just said, hey, I wanna do something. And so we helped resource them. And then um, this other one, the, our car seat ministry is led by a local mom, Allison there in the mask, who has a passion to make sure that kids have a car seat properly installed in their vehicles. And uh, she uses this ministry as an opportunity to just interact with um, the moms and pray for their families. And it's amazing how she's gotten to know a lot of the, the moms and families this way. And then Soup Talk, which is a weekly meal program for the homeless that's led by two of our local pastors. They basically just get together every Thursday and they work with churches or individuals. Sometimes churches bring the meal and they just talk with some of our homeless. Um, basically they provide lunch and they've really gotten to know um, those the, the homeless who come because it's the same group. So as you can see, sometimes we partner with um, and resource individuals who want to do something, and then sometimes we lead uh, um, and and we we lead to plan a program to resource congregations like the Joyful Bounty. So in closing, here's how you can be involved. Um, if you're not already a part of your Compassion Network team here at Hawk Six, I would urge you to consider joining and looking for ways to meet needs. Um, Angela Shu is your liaison for Hawk Six, 
Um, so make sure you talk with her and ask how you can be involved. If you don't already receive the e-blast, make sure you sign up to do so through her. There are opportunities um, on the e-blast that, that you can serve as an open door to fulfill the commands of loving your neighbors. Um, I'll mention two real quick. Recently, we received an email from one of our parent liaisons at Newark Unified School District. So this is a Newark need, right? Um, who told us that there's been a major uptake in uh, lice outbreaks. And so they, they asked if we could collect lice kits for their low-income families who can't afford them. And then another one is Fremont's Aging and Family Services are looking for licensed contractors from our churches to make assessments for senior citizens who are vulnerable to being scammed. And so they know that people from our churches are honest people. And so they actually approached Compassion Network to ask our churches, hey, do you have any licensed contractors who would volunteer, not, not their services, but just volunteer to go make the assessment because they know that they will give honest assessments, which I think is a great, um, it's a great testimony, right, to the, to the city, because the city is asking us. And so, um, again, be a part of your Compassion Network team. And then, two, find new ways to partner with us. Just like there's that car seat ministry or soup talk or boost, they're all led by volunteers. So consider how God might want to use your gifts and your resources um, and, and your abilities to partner with Compassion Network. And so you may say, I have a passion to do this or I have a passion to do that. Well, come, talk to your liaison first, and let us see how we can be a part of that passion. So in closing, um, I can share a bunch of stories of how time and time again, people have made a difference in the community through Compassion Network. And you can actually read some of those stories on our website or on our e-blast. But due to time, because I know we're all probably ready to um, hit the road, but let me just close with this. Sometimes in church, it's really easy to get focused on just what takes place within our four walls of our church. But um, I'm actually grateful that the, your church, your pastor, your leadership uh, value outreach, right? even being involved with Joyful Bounty. Pastor Jeremy actually um, asked me to speak on this topic of outreach. So I know it's important and it's a value. And really that's what's at the heart of City Hills Compassion Network. Um, it is the church being active in the community, going to people, sharing the love of Christ in tangible ways, taking the time and taking the risk to build relationship and get involved in people's lives. So I encourage you, if you're not already involved in some way, make sure you talk to your liaison and take the steps necessary um, to just be a part of what God is doing in the community outside of our normal circles um, through City Hills Compassion Network. That's it. Thank you. And I think we have the rest of the announcements. Thank you. Um, um, so now we're going to um, go over the announcements. So yeah, Sunday school um, is for the youth, and it starts at 10 a.m. So if you're not already here, or if you have nothing to do at 10 in the morning, and you don't want to sleep more, feel free to come um, earlier, one hour. Um, these are our fellowships. Um, so we have, you know, uh, youth fellowships on Fridays, and we have other small groups. Um, so if you are able to attend, or if you want to know more, please talk to me or Jeremy or Dean. 
uh, prayer. Um, as usual, we have our prayer every um, Wednesdays at 8.30 p.m. where we pray for each other, the world, and the church. And yeah, day after service for lunch for adults. Yeah. And I guess Dean's going to do the benediction. I just want to thank uh, Cecil again for your message this morning. Very encouraging to see the saints around the local area partner with the Compassion Network. <coughs> and um, how everything connects together from Philippines to the Bay Area, right? God is amazing. Okay, let's all stand and uh, receive uh, the benediction. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so then the God of peace himself will give you peace at all times in every way. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. All right, service is over. Go and be a neighbor. <laughs>